0: Hi guys, it's Monday afternoon and that means another episode of the Not The Top 20 podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in for downloading this podcast. And I feel like this is the most exciting weekend of Championship action that we've had this season um, and some good results for EFL teams in the FA Cup as well. Not too many uh, giant killings with League One or League Two teams uh, on the wrong end, but it's on the Championship that we will mostly be focusing on today. Um, We're going to get through some of the excellent games that the Championship threw up On the weekend, but also uh, mentioning a few uh, managerial departures across the 72, three of them losing their jobs on Sunday and Monday. We'll be discussing Shrewsbury, Swindon, and Wimbledon shortly. Um, Later on in the podcast, we might have a short discussion about performance data and the predictive qualities of stats, which was such a talking point on Twitter over the weekend. For those of you who didn't see it, the man alongside me, George Ellick, uh, got ratioed, as it's known in the business. A tweet about some Sunderland stats that he saw shared by Marco O'Hare, which received nine retweets, 30 favourites and 86
1: replies. And that doesn't take into account the quote retweets as well. <laughs>
0: it doesn't take into account half of it. Anyway, it was, uh, it was an interesting uh, 48 hours or so on Twitter for that reason. We will touch on that uh, later on in the podcast. We've got a team of the week, of course, from the Championship. Hotly contested this week. So many good results and good performances and later on in the pod right towards the end we talked to a man described by someone we know as the most respected fan out there of this specific club. So if your club got an excellent result this weekend and you don't hear them called in the next 25 minutes or so then you'll be in for a team of the week treat at the end of the show. But George, what a day in the championship. I mean it was it was quite hard to keep up with it all. I had to sort of double check all the results. About an hour afterwards, to make sure that it was uh, that it was all true, that probably the most crazy I think was Norwich four millwall three and Norwich heading into injury time, uh, losing and ending the game winning that the way they managed that situation was was incredible wasn 't it and uh, they are
1: top of the league, our league leaders Norwich City two points clear of second um, and Norwich are having a, an amazing season, and this is just the latest crazy chapter in what 's turn- proving to be something really special. It's a second consecutive game they've scored uh, four goals in. So the notion, I mean, I remember saying on the FI Matters a month or so ago, they could only keep winning one nil Timo so for so long. And I was right, but they've just gone on and scored more goals and put teams uh, to the sword even more. So yeah, crazy, crazy game. Um, I spoke to someone who was at the game who said that, uh, a Norwich fan, who said he was very, very impressed with how Norwich stuck to their guns, even at 3-2 down, keeping the ball, not panicking, not looking to get it forward early. Um, and they got... The, and it paid they pay dividends they missed a penalty Puky as well yeah. at a crucial stage I think when we saw them going 2-1 up I think we probably thought there was only going to be one winner only for the, for the double sucker punch of Millwall to get back to 3-2 after 84 minutes a crazy few minutes Unbelievable and another few minutes. crazy
0: few minutes at the end exactly. it, it was noticeable wasn't it that they, they weren't just pumping it into yeah, the mixer yeah. which seems to still be the sort of last resort of, of 90% of the teams that we'll see in the EFL
1: definitely um, I thought that uh, people calling Puky's finish for the fourth goal kind of a, a great calm finish. He got very lucky. I think the ball kind of ricocheted off his standing leg um, as he kind of charged towards goal. Uh, but
0: how about the quality of the passes for the two goals? I mean, B- when Buendia's into Rhodes was was sumptuous and took, you know, six defenders out of the game. Um, and you can say the same for Vrancic's beautiful little reverse pass into Puki for the winning goal. That, that's what impressed me so much, was how they managed that situation that few minutes so often we see teams um, slightly panic and ultimately their threat um, especially if they're not the biggest team uh, you know they're, they're actually not playing to their strengths but that's exactly what Norwich were doing and it's very impressive
1: yeah and I think it's, it's just having a faith having some faith in, in your attacking players to be able to unlock defences in Buendia and Vrancic who came off the bench whether it's Hernandez or, or, or Leitner they've got players who can do that and just uh, you know the understanding that there's no need to go along um, seems to have paid off for them. Uh, you've got to be really impressed. Uh, and I think this result will give them massive confidence. Not that they really needed it, but uh, but in terms of, of making sure they don't get complacent, I think having a result like this is huge to, to galvanise the team and keep them winning.
0: Moritz Leiton having an incredible season. He scored a fantastic goal earlier in the game to put them 2-1 up. Uh, one more note on Norwich. Since I did my Daniel Farker impression, uh, eight games, six wins, one draw, and one loss. That's the best in the league at that time. I think they were about mid-table when I did it. So, um, you know, just something for, for everyone to think about. Uh, if if uh, you have any requests for future impressions, um, then I will take requests for a fee. Uh, on Millwall, Stephen, a Norwich fan, tweeted about Millwall. Two different Millwalls on display. The first pressed high, moved the ball well, and deserved at least a point. The other sat back, went ahead, became physical, and suffered as a result. Gregory and Wallace Top-notch, Elliot causing height problems, but they limited uh, Norwich. Uh, They were limited and Norwich just kept probing. O- on a Millwall side of things, um, it's been a fairly encouraging few weeks, I think, in the sense of, of the fact that they've, uh, they have been competing with a lot of teams in the top half of the table. And slowly, it seems to me, to be moving themselves away from, um, from an out-and-out relegation battle. And it's another assist for Jake Cooper who is uh, yeah. joint top yeah, a joint-top assist.
1: A brilliant assist as well. It,
0: it, we mentioned it before. They've, they've. I'm not saying that no other teams do this, but it is interesting that they target Cooper, which is obvious. He's about six foot six. Um, but they don't necessarily look to find him in an area where he'll head it at goal. For him, it's more about directing it to a teammate. And, mm. and we know that second balls are harder to defend against than, um, than him being the initial target to, to score. So I think he's got six assists now. Um, and given that he's, you know, he's so tall, he's going to win the first header let's say, two-thirds of the time, that's just a, you know, I'm just guessing there, um, it's, it's proving to be an incredibly smart tactic and it's, it's good to see. So uh, that was Norwich. Another team that scored four goals at home was West Brom against Leeds in the late game on Saturday. A fantastic watch for the neutral, really, this under the lights. Um, it, it started fairly evenly, but of course, West Brom ended up absolutely blitzing Leeds starting with West Brom George Patrick said you know everyone was brilliant for West Brom but picked out Phillips and Robson Carnu as well Um, his best game for baggies by miles even the defence looked good and Leeds couldn't live with us Uh, credit to Big Dave he says for tactics and motivation two areas he's been lacking in recently Uh, a a really good result for Darren Moore to get just to silence uh, some murmurs some some dissenting some critics
1: definitely I I thought they'd get beat here um, but and in the first half they started the game very very well Leeds grinned to it in the second half the second half mm. um, Click had a good shot saved by Johnson but you uh, well I personally thought at half time that there was only one team who were going into this and that was the away team but Harry Ops and Carney scored pretty quickly after the break and after that it was it was a route and they were really impressive mm. um, I think the, you have to again ask questions about Peacock Farrell the Leeds keeper for the second goal um, letting a, a kind of a speculative long shot from Matt Phillips squirm under his uh, square under him but that doesn't really change the result or change who deserved to win this game uh, West Brom could have gone ahead early in, in the second half they're by far and away the best team um, concerns definitely for Leeds they were really really poor second half mm. um, and a big concern That you know, it's funny that a week after the, the video goes viral of them all chasing down the same ball suddenly as soon as they're 2 down their heads drops and they weren't really in the game anymore um, which is which has got to be a bit of a concern. But West Brom Sky used a really interesting uh, stat during the game, um, where West Brom's record in matches where they've where they've dominated dominated possessions poor, but in games where they've had under fifty percent of possession, I think they've won all but one. Yeah, which I think just shows that it's something we've said together before that the, the midfield of Livermore and Morrison uh, isn't really necessarily. Doesn't look like the strongest, um, and yeah. or the most creative. The strongest, strongest is a bad word. No, what the we've most seen creative. before
0: when they've had a lot of possession. That's not the exactly. those players aren't breaking down teams that defend in a low block, exactly. that d- Defend deep,
1: exactly. So whereas
0: uh, with some space to play in, we saw, uh, you know, Barnes, Robson, Cano, Rodriguez. I-, I couldn't believe how much Leeds left themselves I- exposed. I mean, you know, that they are very comfortable in possession, um, and they had the majority of it, but they didn't create as many. Clear-cut openings, as, uh, as you would have hoped as a Leeds fan. That seems to be a bit of a trend in the last few weeks. Um, but, e- you know, even without that, because, you know, we do often say it's not easy to break down teams who are defending well and defending deep. It was just the fact of, of how open they were on the counter-attack in, um, in the middle period of the game that was so disappointing. Um, Hal Robson-Carnu... Like such a weird one for me, and I, I was very much made to eat my words. But uh, when I saw the lineups and saw that he was playing, I couldn't help but remember that the, the sort of uh, cult of Robson Carney, which came from Euro 2016, uh, from his fantastic goal against Belgium for Wales and, and good performances throughout that tournament. But his 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 role for Reading and his reputation as a player at Reading didn't really match the reputation that he got after uh, the, the Euro 2016. And, of course, he was a free agent for a while after that. Um, not not able or not willing to, to stay in the Championship. Got the, the move to West Brom. Didn't play very much last season in the Premier League. Um, and so I sort of almost went too far the other way, I think, and, and, and considered that he was just a player that had had a really good international tournament and that had skewed what everyone thought of him. I still probably think that's true to an extent, but... He, he showed real quality on the weekend, you know if, if he can play like that consistently, then when Gale gets injured, when Rodriguez gets injured you know it 's like the replacement won 't be a massive drop off for them, which which is uh, encouraging
1: no i mean it, it was only a second start of the season um, in the league, but he, but he you know, finished his goal very very well i, I don 't think he 's ever going to be as prolific as as Gale or or Rodriguez in this league, but as you say he's someone with with but he didn't even used to be a striker.
0: I swear he was a winger at Reading. I, I don't know, maybe...
1: Well, I mean, I don't think he's got the pace now to be a winger. No. So I think that was pretty necessary. Um, I might be completely wrong. I mean, I, I, a... I'm still I'm, I'm still not really completely sold um, that he is going to be a player who's going to change his West Brom team... Um, dramatically but as uh, as a good reserve as a good backup player then yeah I'm sure he has a role
0: it was a bit like and I'm I'm absolutely positive that Leeds did plenty of research on him before the game but he cut inside Cooper so easily in the first half onto his left foot and curled over Um, Cooper just let him go basically And then, obviously, even for the goal, it was a little shift onto his left foot and a great finish. It was like they thought he was right-footed and were sort of showing him onto his stronger foot. Um, A disappointing result from a Leeds point of view. They did score a beautiful goal at the end, of course, uh, and Dwight Gale scored a very clever back heel, too. So, great for the neutral, very exciting. The same probably can't be said for any Middlesbrough games um, in, in recent weeks, all season, really, but... 11 clean sheets from 17 games is an astonishingly good record. Uh, They won 2-0 against Wigan to go second in the table. Um, And I thought this one was notable for the performances of Danny Bart at the back, who was getting rave reviews after the game, who... I'm going to just be honest, I didn't even realise was at Middlesbrough. So, not did I until last week? Um, he signed on deadline day and I obviously completely missed it, but um, he's putting in good performances, perhaps not surprising uh, given his form for Wolves last season when he got involved in, in that team. Um, and also of, of Jordan Hugel, Dominic Shaw, a local uh, Middlesbrough journal, tweeted about Hugel saying exactly what Borough need from their centre forward. A nuisance, tireless running, a target throughout and goals. Um, Hugo's not always been prolific, but the way that they play, do you think he's a better fit than Asombalonga? I mean, I felt like tireless running was almost a a bit of a pointed comment at Mr. Asambolonga, but I might be reading into things.
1: I mean, they're very different players, I think. I personally would say technically and physically Asambolonga is quite clearly the better striker. Um, and over the course of the season, I'd argue that someone longer would score more goals than Hugel. But that's not to say that, that you know, what, what the tweet you just read out isn't true, because Hugel is, you know, the embodiment of what um, Tony Pulis football is kind of all about, where he's, he's a battering ram, he, he's going to run himself into the ground, uh, he's strong, he's not afraid to get stuck in, uh, full of energy, and he'll bring players like Braithwaite and, and Downing into uh, into scoring opportunities as well. So it gives them good options. I think uh, at home, um, Hugo's probably a better fit as well, where they're going to be playing a little bit further forward. I think it's some because there will be games where this Middlesbrough team really play on the break. And that's where some does come into his own. We see him so many times kind of streaking clear of, of, of high lines um, and finishing sometimes well and sometimes <laughs> not so well, but, uh, but he's been so prolific. So it, it, it's Hugo's first goal of the season um, in the league. It was a penalty, so we can't get too carried away mm. of his goal-scoring exploits. But as a player, well,
0: the uh, second goal was a nice finish, um, yeah,
1: and and that
0: was encouraging. Of course, just on, on Borough, I know we're trying uh, just for a few weeks to avoid too many like predictions at the top of the championship because it's so tough. Uh, we spoke, or I said about five weeks ago that I thought the team with such an amazing defensive record, is almost a lock for promotion and, and the, the last three, four, five years more or less backs that up. That um, They're clearly on, on the way there. They've conceded just eight goals in their 17 games so far. Do you think that that's going to be enough? Do you think that... I mean, if you look at their previous results, nil-nil against Rotherham, one all against Derby, nil-nil against yeah. Stoke. I mean, like, you obviously... If you've got such a good defence, you barely lose a game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think those those results can be you know, slightly taken with a pinch of salt. Jack Butland had another one of his amazing games against them and that nil-nil draw, they easily could have beaten Rotherham as well, although Rotherham had chances, to be fair. Um, they've got a minus... so they've got plus 11 goal difference and there are only five teams in the Championship currently who've conceded less than 20 goals. They've conceded just eight, um, which suggests that we could be in a position where every team in the league have sc- conceded 20 or more and they've still conceded single figures. Mm. Um, if you carry on like that, uh, you know... Y- uh, you, you, your, bad, your bad results are going to be the nil nils, and that's a massive difference to your bad results being being losses. Um, and their home form is is so so good, and, and they they're functional away from home. So
0: still pretty positive then.
1: I, I think if if I mean they're in second place now. But if if their goals against column stays the same as it is, you know it's eight and seventeen at the moment. If that continues for the season, then there's no doubt in my mind that they'll go up.
0: Interesting stuff. I've seen on Twitter today uh, guys who do a Middlesbrough related podcast called the Borough Podcast. Um, who, have, who have basically taken a break for a few weeks, partly because, as we know, scheduling and, and logistically it can be tough to do a podcast with full time jobs, but also I think um, from what I read on Twitter, because the, the, there's not that much to talk about. It's all been a bit dull, dare I say. So that that's an interesting thing because, of course, Borough, uh, you know, in the automatic spots, in second in the table, but you can understand, and I'm sure there are uh, West Brom fans who can say to them that you know this is what this is what you have to expect, and um, to what point do you accept? Um, being bored, ultimately, Um, if uh, if if it can lead to success. It's a really interesting conversation. I still uh, do
1: not get that, though. What? Well, just uh, the, the idea of being bored by, by Middlesbrough. Like you're st- they've still scored 19 goals this season. They've still picked up 31 points. 19 um,
0: goals in 17 games. No, no, but as in, I'm, just, I'm just
1: saying, in terms of what you celebrate as a spectator, I just think it's a bit of a myth that if you're playing bad football and you're winning games you're still, it's not good enough, especially when you're a team like like Middlesbrough where all that matters is getting back into the top flight for your fans. Mm. Um, It's just a bit of a contradiction, but fair play.
0: QPR, Brentford, definitely not boring this one. 3-2 to QPR. Uh, We'll start with them, but there's interesting bits on both sides here. QPR's run still going, uh, very much so, Uh, an incredible run that they're on, and everyone's contributing. I sort of, Watching the game, watching the game back and and looking at the way that they play, and some of their big contributors it 's going to sound a, a bit weird, this, uh, but they remind me a bit of Accrington um, in the way that they play. We saw Accrington play at the start of the season, and I left saying. I couldn't believe how simple their patterns of play were, but how effective they were. I didn't mean that in a bad way. I meant it in a really good way. And you watch QPR, the way that they attack. um, It's very uncomplicated. It's very Accrington-esque. And and it's impressive that they've managed to... Get so comfortable um, with an attacking system that leans very heavily on their top players, Freeman and and Easy. Of course, Easy had a quiet game, really, uh, by his standards. But Freeman was fantastic again, um, and just getting the best out of them. You see that the, the back four, Rangel and Bidwell, the fullbacks, they don't really get forward, focused on defending first and foremost, on on not being caught out of position, not giving space in behind, and and that's very effective. Um, and the interesting thing about QPR is they haven't beaten anyone at this stage above them in the table. So they're 10th they're at the moment, but against teams in the top nine, one point from six games. Um, against teams below them, eight wins out of 11. So my question to you is, do you think that that's, that's where they are? Do you think they're a 10th to 12th place team? Or do you think that they could go up another level?
1: I, I, I think it would be a huge... Uh efforts from QPR to finish in the top 10 this season um I I still think the points they're picking up at the moment are just to distance themselves from any trouble Um, I, I worry about the depth of the squad if you're looking at the bench um from last week uh Jordan Cousins was the only person that came on you got Grant Hall there Matt Smith Darnell Furlong um, Bright Samuel, Josh Scowen. Who's I mean, these are guys who aren't really going to change a game. But run. it feels
0: like a key injury in in any part of the pitch. Exactly, could derail them more than most.
1: I I I think that's exactly right. Um, so you know, Steve McClaren want this run to continue for as long as possible. They deserve huge credit for coming back in a, in a derby game um, on Saturday against Brentford um, to win the game they they've definitely turned around what was a really poor start and you could argue that because they had such a poor start they're almost in a false position now where they they should be a little bit higher given the the quality of performances they've put in but having said all of that i think if if they're in the playoff reckoning um come february then steve mclaren's done an incredible job yeah
0: well i'd I'd argue that where they are now represents just you know just to start with a, a uh, almost incredible first five months in charge and he's a guy that gets attracts a lot of uh, of criticism and has done for a long time now so i think it's only fair to to flag up that you know this is one of the managers that you can look at and say is 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 making his team uh, outperform expectations uh, in the championship and that's a, a a very impressive thing so kudos to steve mclaren what about brentford um darren tweeted in no away league win since April is a big worry, as is these spells that we have. We've conceded three in 14 minutes at Derby, three in 20 minutes at Preston, and three in 10 minutes yesterday. Something is wrong in our setup there. And it's, it's quite hard to disagree, uh, isn't it? Because they're just constantly giving away soft goals. Don't seem to be... That doesn't seem to be improving.
1: Yeah, it's, it's troubling. Um, you know, we, we were so... You're full of praise for the, for the way they were set up with, with Mepham and Conza, we said at the beginning of the season we couldn't believe how a championship team could be performing so well with two 20-year-old you know, 20 20 year and 21-year-old uh, in centre-back, maybe now we're seeing that you can't really do that mm. and that you need someone with a bit of experience um, who isn't quite so raw um, it's, it's, you know, it's it by no means reflects too badly on them, they're both going to be fantastic players and massive, massive um, investments for Brentford who will definitely pay in time, but um, when you're seeing teams concede as cheaply as they are, uh, sacrifice leads like they are, you have to wonder if, if they just need that, that wise head in, in, in the middle of defence. And just they, to... they
0: might say, you know, if they were here to defend themselves, that maybe they could do with a bit more help in front of them, someone, to, someone with a bit more steel to screen. I mean, we like passing midfielders at the at the base of a midfield, but, you know, there's, there's certainly in some of these away games this season, we've seen that the midfield is too easily bypassed. And... Um, the one time that Smith, when he was still manager, mixed it up and, and put Steele in against Leeds, Mococcio uh, and Yonaris instead of McEachran and McLeod, it seemed like that pragmatic approach um, worked and, and they didn't lose too much going forward because they were still able to counterattack um, with that solid base. But the lack of pragmatism continues uh, away from home and, it's, uh, and it is definitely hurting them. I mean, you mentioned it there, such soft goals to give away. Um, At one point for the second goal, you've got a set-piece being swung in and you've got Sergio Canos, a winger, marking um, Leissner, the centre-back. So, um, disorganised and um, really, really soft goals being conceded there. A a very, very poor few weeks for uh, Brentford, Birmingham 3, Hull 3. It was a weird game. Um, We'll start with Hull because... Birmingham have, have got a good record in recent weeks of putting teams away that they would expect to beat when they've been heavy favourites, but they didn't do so today. In fact, it was a um, or on the weekend, I should say, it was a injury time equaliser. I think Che Adams's hat trick. So Hull, um, I feel like uh, the last few weeks results have been better. So have they gone up a level? Do you think? Do you think they've 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 reached a level above? you know maybe being the worst or second worst team in the league
1: not necessarily it's, it's two games um two fantastic wins sorry well not wins two fantastic games for them four huge points um taking nothing away from them at all but but it would be pretty knee-jerk to think to reassess your whole opinion on a team based on that um fraser campbell um has scored three goals in those two games um i think we can all say with with relative certainty that, that he's not a prolific goal scorer at this he level. looks
0: sharp mate he's looking really sharp if getting he, in front of defenders fine. finishing well
1: you don't go through a career scoring at a certain rate and suddenly one day turn up and, and, and you've become a, an elite finisher that doesn't happen <laughs> um so you, you can't really expect him to maintain that level of form uh, Grisicki looks um it's gonna be a huge plus for him I, I mentioned how I listened to their local radio show and they were saying that finally Grisicki's kind of accepted that he's Going to be at Hull. He's not going to be able to get a move for a while, so he's knuckling down. And realistically, he probably knows that if he didn't knuckle down and put in some performances, that move may not be particularly yeah. uh, what he was after. Um, having said that, I yeah, uh, Birmingham just seemingly got really complacent. Um, so it, it's it's giving away a two nil lead isn't really good enough. Um, they showed some character to, to score late on, um, and great to see Adams um, still in the goals. But
0: uh, Hull's defensive performance was genuinely horrendous i mean yeah. the three goals is exciting but the goals that they conceded were um pretty laughable i think it's fair to say um and yeah it's a good point about about grisicki because he showed and has showed quality whenever he's he's found a run of games whenever he's put his head down so um fair play that to him, I suppose, to the club for managing to motivate him because he, he's you know, out of the teams right down at the bottom, just in terms of individual quality. He must be up there in terms of one of the better players. So uh, it would be good to see him continue in that vein of form. Um, Reading 2, Ipswich 2. Before I throw to you, I'd like to apologise to Yaku Meite. Um, f- oh, yeah. About five weeks ago, yeah. he signed a four-year deal, a new contract, and I tweeted... Uh, our friends at the Tilehurst end, a Reading blog, and I said, four years seems a lot, doesn't it, lads? Um, And since then, he scored six goals in five games (laughs) and probably doubled his value. So, um, fair enough. You did the same with... Freddie Ladapo a few weeks ago. So if we question the ability of a striker, <clears throat> Fraser Campbell, um, make sure you're backing them to score, guys, because that's clearly... A... T-
1: tell you what, Jamie Mackey is rubbish.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I still love. I watched back... I don't mean it, Jamie. Yeah. Uh, on the FL Matters the other day, he said, he, you know, he does get chances. But he, he said himself he puts most of them wide, uh, which was good. Anyway, uh, back to the game. Some more horrendous defending here, uh, mainly from Reading in this instance, and it's nothing new. But do you think this was a disappointing result for both teams?
1: Yeah, I think it was. Um, but that says a lot about the start that Paul Lambert's made. Uh, I think Ipswich should have been, probably should have been out of sight really after the first half. They're by far the better team, um, but were unable to really put Reading to the sword, and Reading were able, therefore, to come back and, and get a point that they absolutely deserved by the end of the game as well. So Quite encouraging. Frustrating signs. for both. Yeah, I think, I think encouraging for both teams. I mean, let's not make any mistake that these are two of the poorest teams in the league um, and therefore you have to wonder if maybe um, the promising signs be, could be because just the quality wasn't quite there for either of them. But having said that, um, certainly positives for, for Ipswich. Um, they definitely look better going forward straight away uh, with Paul Lambert at the helm. Um, and just more just
0: more confidence on the ball, well, yeah, which exactly.
1: is so notable. And we expressed, well, I expressed concern about Reading without uh, Mitre um, in the in the betting show, but he was obviously fit to play. And um, that made all the difference in terms of getting the goals they needed to, to get the draw. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you that it's disappointing for both. But having said that, I think there are green shoots coming from the game.
0: Absolutely. Well, Paul Lambert said that the first-half performance was as good as I've seen in any team I've managed, which is quite the statement. It, re- it really is. Alex, who was there and tweeted, said uh, both teams are not good. Ipswich looked to have some potential to steer clear. Very impressive first-half. So um, at least he sort of concurs, I suppose, with uh, Paul Lambert, what he said about the first-half. Um, as you said yourself, a few patterns that looked like they'd been worked on in training, a few uh, attacking moves that looked quite effective, um, and Jordan Roberts, uh, through the middle, seems to be um, putting himself about a bit. He, he signed from Crawley. I always had him down as more of a winger, so I'm surprised that he's getting the nod up top. But from what I've seen from the fans, they've um, they've been impressed with his performances. And you can say the same fantastic segue about Preston North End, George. They went to Ashton Gate on the weekend and they beat Bristol City 1-0. Um, a very sneaky seven games unbeaten for Preston. And, and just as well, because... They were bottom of the league on the 27th of December. Um, and since then, December. Uh, the, the 27th of September. And since then, three wins and, and four draws. We're starting to see them regress to the mean uh, in a good way, I think. Because they, they,
1: they were never... Uh, Pro- progress to the
0: mean. Progress to the mean.
1: Um, Move towards the mean yeah, in, in mean, a good way. I, I think it's better than that. I'm, I've expressed doubt about Alex Neal's ability to turn around a sinking ship. Um, that may have been a slightly overdramatic. But uh, the run they've gone on has been really impressive. Um, We were told uh, and ignored the fact that they were Bristol City's bogey team. Um, I still don't believe in it. I don't care if uh, they won. Either way, they they managed to beat them. Uh, A very good Bristol City team as well. So really positive for Preston at the moment. Um, We just should have stuck. We said at the beginning of the season we thought they'd be half decent. We should have stuck to our guns. Um, But uh, they're certainly moving in the right direction. You, you you, you You still have to think they probably don't have enough quality... To really trouble the top end of the table, but
0: they've still got this really weird thing where you know even in this good unbeaten run of seven games that I've mentioned, they've beaten Wigan, Brentford, and Bristol City in that time, but they've drawn with Hull, Rotherham, and with Ipswich as well. And last season, they arguably only missed out on the playoffs because of their inability to beat the worst teams, the bottom teams, um, at home and put them away. They, they're much more effective and much more suited to playing better teams and it, it's a bit of an odd one that and it's quite rare so um, you know they are moving up the table well, thank but thank still you for
1: them they've got Blackburn and Borronek so it should be six points there you go that's Job something done.
0: something to, to note <laughs> and, and, and we've got to talk about Callan Robinson because in terms of um, breakout stars of the season he really does have to be up there and was, and
1: was that not offside that
0: goal? I thought he was
1: and I even typed into Twitter, like, BCFC offside to see people complaining, and there was just nothing really there. I paused <laughs> it on, my, on, on the, on the highlights.
0: So did I. I'm glad that we watched the highlights in the same way. I did think he was offside, but regardless, it's seven goals and two assists for Robinson. He's taken the joint most shots in the league this year with, with Harvey Barnes, and he's really developing into um, one of the sort of premium or premier goal threats uh, in terms of wide forwards in the championship really really impressive I think it was his 125th game for Preston a fantastic signing when you go back a few years and picking him up from Aston Villa um, and you know he, he's if he continues on, on this form if he can keep the form up then um, he, he's going to end the, the season with 15 goals um, and and you know he's going to get talked about more and more so uh, I think what's notable is when you say he's take, taken the most shots in the league they're not just um, pot shots or, or long range shots having cut in as well. He does get into the six yard box when the ball's out uh, on the right and, and when he, he sniffs a chance to get inside as fullback, he does so. So, um, a really impressive start to the season from Callum Robinson. And it wouldn't be surprised to see us talking more and more about him. Uh, Swansea getting a rare away win. George, what a threat they will be if they can sort out that away form. Barry Mackay scoring a screamer. It sort of feels like with Swansea, they're one of those teams where we, we touch on different. People each time we talk about them, which is a hugely positive sign.
1: Especially when you'd have said, when you looked at the teams on paper at the beginning of the season, you'd have thought theirs was one of the ones that really lacked depth, and they're showing that the players we didn't think were good enough not only are good enough, but they're providing real quality all over the park. Um, if, I, mean, I think Graham Potter has to be the manager currently who's just, I mean, as he was at Osterson, just going under the radar. They're doing really, really good stuff. I know that they're a Premier League team last season and maybe ideas that a playoff place this season would be a big achievement sound a bit weird but that's just still how I feel just because of the quality of players they had I mean if you look at the squads compared to other teams who've been relegated recently it's not like there's international pedigree all over the team except for certain players um, like Roden and Bernie who've got their international pedigree from being good at, at, at Swansea so um, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying the this uh, this run of form and I think that Potter's proving now that, that what he did Uh, over in Sweden wasn't a fluke
0: and in Bolton uh, something that slightly slipped under my radar a real um, turn from some Bolton fans on social media with their views towards Phil Parkinson Um, just some of the tweets I saw over the weekend tactics too negative we're on a one way street to league one with Parkinson Uh, he needs to go or we're going to go down it's clearly time for a change um, and I sort of expressed surprise on this at NTT20pod on Twitter. And from our you know, more neutral followers like ourselves, uh, it was interesting to see the responses. We sort of got both sides of the coin. Um, Wayne says, I'm still trying to work out how he got them promoted from League One uh, or how he kept them up last year. What else can he do with a limited squad and the off-field issues he's faced? And Matthew said, well, you know, uh, there's an argument that if, if he's doing his best in a bad situation but going down seems inevitable, why not roll the dice and, and make a change? I have a feeling that you're going to be pretty vehemently pro-Parkinson here. Do you sort of see the other side of it?
1: I I personally don't. I think that if... Completely different to what we are talking about with Middlesbrough, where if the football's boring and you're winning, I just don't really see the issue, especially when promotion's the aim. If you are going to be like Ipswich fans were with Mick McCarthy, where you're going to say, right, we are really going to struggle to stay up in this league, but let's at least try and do it the right way. Um, then I have some sympathy. Personally, if, it's a, if you want the man who's the most likely person to keep Bolton up this season, then you keep Phil Parkinson. There's no doubt about that. He's done it last season. He is working wonders with what is not a particularly talented squad, with not very much investment. And I think it must be very hard to get players uh, to come to the club, given the financial issues they've got as well. So
0: is, is there signs that he's not doing that? To the same extent as he might have done last year, though. I mean, they obviously had that incredible first few games, but but ultimately in the last, let's say, twelve games, I mean, it's been absolutely miserable. So maybe he he is actually struggling to get the results that he did get last year.
1: Yeah, possibly. I mean, they're on a, they're on a miserable run, and they're, and they're struggling to score. But I just I just don't really see who's going to come in and, and turn that round. Um, it's a risk, and and it's, again, it's it's just it's, it's one I'm not. I personally want him to stay and I think he should stay and I think he's earned the right to stay Um, and I I, I don't necessarily think they're at rock bottom yet as well Um, but yeah, for for me he should stay but I I can kind of understand the issues now where with Parkinson at the helm this is probably going to be the constant. Um, A fight to stay up playing Attritional football will probably be where they are under Parkinson. It's very hard to see him. I mean, you know, when they were flying high early in the season, we said it then as well. Mm-hmm. It's very unlikely they were going to stay there. Um, so it's whether or not you want a guy who, who's proven to be able to do this kind of brutally, or if you want to roll the dice with maybe someone a little bit more expansive and hope that they can uh, get even more at the players. Yeah, somewhat, I mean, God I mean, knows who they'd be able, able
0: to, to attract. Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, that's the issue. I mean, Hurst is obviously one who, who might want another crack at a championship job. Michael Appleton obviously said in our podcast that he'd only work for a club with the right owners, so you have to wonder if he'd go there with the financial issues. It's hard to say.
0: We'll move on to managers that have unfortunately um, received their marching orders in the last 48 hours or so. Uh, I read a piece from a a Wimbledon fan just a few days before Neil Ardley's departure was announced, in which he touched on some of the things we've spoken about there, um, about the fact that of course, with Ardley, um, the elephant in the room, to an extent, was, was the fa- was his status as a club legend, his history with the club, and how popular he was as a man um, th- throughout the whole club. Um, but you know that there was also um, the writer was musing about you know if you are essentially doomed to relegation, or that's how it feels, that's how it looks, that's the most likely outcome, um, then. Surely, even though people tell you that it's not always the the right thing to do, surely you, you almost have to roll the dice because otherwise you're just accepting relegation and should you do that. Anyway, Neil Ardley has uh, moved on from Wimbledon, um, a mutual decision according to the club's statement. Um, it seemed surprising that it came out uh, after two wins in the Cup, although I suppose they, they weren't particularly impressive, especially against arringay on uh, on Friday
1: night. Yeah, I'd assume the decision was made um, long before those two games. You'd think they probably just thought let's let's get through these two games, um, which are cup games. There's probably been some work done behind the scenes. I'd, I'd have thought. Um, I mean, it's, um, that's pure speculation. It just does seem weird that that you know, after a win on TV on a Friday night that you sacked your manager on the Monday. Although maybe not sacked. I think a lot of the fans who thanked Ardley online were saying you know he looked like he needed a break. Uh, Mike Holden put out some very interesting tweets. Or sorry, Fox uh, the Fox Punter Twitter account put out some good tweets. Um saying that Ardley was someone who seemed to like really wear um the the struggles they had. Mm. He was very reactive, wasn't someone to necessarily look at the bigger picture but needed to sort stuff out as it was coming. And as and as such, he was unable to do so. Um, I'm sure we'll see Ardley back in a decent job soon enough and uh, and as the statement said, I mean it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, in a couple of years' time Ardley is in a in a better spot than, than AFC Wimbledon.
0: In terms of where Wimbledon turn now uh, to try and get themselves away from the relegation zone, it doesn't look, uh, looking at the odds at the moment, George, like there's a sort of clear favourite at this early stage.
1: Yeah, very different to the Swindon and Shrewsbury jobs um, that we will uh, cover in a second. But yeah, I mean, it's it's your usual names, really, that you'd probably expect to see there. People like Darren uh, Darren Ferguson and Gary Bowyer and Paul Hurst, Phil Brown, guys who have recently left jobs. Uh, Mark Warburton is always on these lists. Um, Surely one day he will return to management. Uh, Steve Cottrell is the five-to-one favourite Um, Again, another name that is pretty much always in the top 10 when any League 1 or League 2 job comes up. So I think at the moment it looks like no one's really sure what's going to happen. Um, I think Boyer would be a fantastic um, appointment, but he's being rumoured to be going to Shrewsbury, so we'll have to see on that one.
0: Shrewsbury are rumoured to be into Gary Boyer because they need to replace John Askey, who was sacked on Monday, just five days after the club came out and and rejected the story that he was on the brink when Alan Nixon wrote about it last week. There's a lot of people saying, you know... don't don't come out and back your manager if you're going to sack him a few days later. You can kind of see why they they have to respond to those reports though, right? And if and if the time is not right to announce the departure of a manager, um, or if they haven't spoken to the manager about it for whatever reason, you can't just. You do kind of, you can kind of see why they respond, right? Like, I,
1: I mean, there's responding and there's responding. I think there's putting a statement out saying uh, we reject the the, the Nash reports, but he, his was fairly personal. I mean, they had like a picture of him alongside it, saying that this is a disgrace. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't have much sympathy for them. Looking pretty foolish now.
0: Penny for the thoughts of the journalist Alan Nixon today. Um, performances under ASCII we did sort of flag them up after five or six games as one of the teams who's. Uh, underlying performance levels at that early stage was were, were, was quite good, um, and that they s- were seemingly creating chances. We were constantly told by the fans that um, they had terrible strikers, and the, the 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 chances were falling to the wrong people. Essentially, um, but what then followed was, um, due to who knows which factors, a real drop off in performance level as well. And the last few weeks have been the writing's been on the wall for him. The fans, it seems, never quite. To him, really,
1: yeah, it's what we always say. Uh, either the, the performances um, will continue and the results get better, or the results will continue because performances get worse. And this time, the second seems to happen. Um, it reminded me a little bit of, of Northampton, um, where early performances were good, but obviously heads drop, and maybe the fans and players lose a bit of faith in the manager because the results aren't coming alongside it, and therefore performances slide. Um, they've been poor for the last few weeks, and uh, and I think this is one of those where even though. I was excited to see what Askey did with them, especially after the success he had at Macclesfield, that I don't know if they could necessarily have have waited around much longer to find out.
0: It closes the door on a miserable quirk, and you've mentioned it there, that Paul Hurst left Shrewsbury for Ipswich, was replaced by John Askey of Macclesfield, who had just taken Mac into the EFL, Uh, and that slot was filled by Mark Yates. Now, Yates lost his job, Last month, Paul Hurst, of course, a few weeks ago, and now Askey as well. I mean, that is a remarkable state of affairs, isn't it? Just the 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 absolute worst case scenario for three clubs and for all the managers involved as well. Um, Everyone must be wishing they could do it all over again, and maybe they can because maybe they can. Paul Hurst is available for Shrewsbury. John uh, John Askey available for Macclesfield. Is that wishful thinking?
1: No, I mean, as I said, there was a you know. throw your odds on um, for the job at uh, at Shrewsbury but Paul Hurst is a very very close second favorite I mean according to the odds that's basically a two horse race for the, for that job um and I mean I'd be really shocked if Askie doesn't go to maxfield I mean you just have to think that that's just an absolute no brainer um they haven't appointed a permanent manager after getting rid of um of yates and you know there's still a job to do there it's 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 a hard lead to get promoted back into but it's also quite a hard lead to get relegated from <laughs> yeah early to it a lot of bad teams often finish above the drop zone because of the the issues people have and and if they can bring ASciI back bring a bit of the feel feel good factor back to the club a couple of wins and, and they're out of it so um i was a bit I was a bit gutted when I looked on the uh, Uh, online earlier and there wasn't a Macclesfield next manager market because that was my first port of call as soon as I heard about Ascii leaving
0: (laughs) I'm sure you were not alone in that finally in League 2 Phil Brown was sacked by Swindon Um, were you surprised by
1: by this news? no not really I I think that Swindon fans um, expected a hell of a lot more than this this season they're currently currently 17th in the league Mm. Um, Brown hadn't shown any signs I mean basically since he came in Um, hasn't really shown any signs of of being the the man to take them forward Um, I
0: was almost surprised he stayed after, he obviously filled in for David Flitcroft who moved to Mansfield in, what was it March maybe, Um, Brown himself and you know unfortunately for him it's been a horrendous 2018, he he was sacked by Southend in January uh, and now sacked by Swindon in November so two sackings in the space of 11 months for Brown but he took the Swindon job not long after his sacking by Southend um, and you know the, the the performances have never been consistent under him. Um, I think it was absolutely fair to say after just a few months at the end of last season that it wasn't his team, um, and he wasn't able to to you know stamp his uh, Phil Brown philosophy on the side. But after a summer and after such a poor start, I kept mentioning um, on the betting show that even their good results in early parts of the season, you know, without wanting to be rude, you could actually explain them away a bit of luck um, red cards for the opposition that sort of thing um, and it's not a surprise to see him um, leave the club and there is um, fr- from what the odds are saying a very clear uh, favourite to take the job in Richie Wellens uh, what would you what would you feel about that appointment putting aside any um, Oxford Swindon rivalry bias
1: yeah I think it's a good appointment um, I think that he did an okay job at uh, at Oldham, came into a club who were in absolutely desperate straits uh, and he, according to G- uh, Gab Sutton, the football lab on Twitter, um, he tweeted today that they were 13th for points per game in that time. Uh, I saw that Oldham team at the at the uh, Kassam Stadium and they played very good football indeed. Um, it has to be said. Uh, it's going to be one where they're going to have to give them a bit of time unlike, you know, someone like Phil Brown and, and Flitcroft as well where you kind of know what you're going to get. Uh, Wellens is, is he's articulate, he's Someone who I spoke to someone at Oldham who who worked at the club when he was there, and he said how popular he was with all the staff and players. So it strikes me as a a little bit of a risk, but also it's a much better appointment than it maybe looks on paper. You've seen a lot of Swindon fans today saying, you know, basically acting as if um, the appointment was somewhat beneath them, which I think is harsh Um,
0: because they normally get the likes of Tim Sherwood uh, involved. But
1: I mean, that's surely this is the time to invest in someone who's who's maybe something of an unknown. I I tweeted that it reminded me a bit of the Appleton. Appointment where when Appleton was appointed Oxford manager, I was gutted to start with because from the outside, not really paying much attention. You look at the job he did at Blackpool, Blackburn, and Pompey, and there's not much to get excited about. And I think it's similar with this one where you think you look at the olden stats, you look at what happened in their season, and you think hmm, not great, but I don't think he can take any of the blame for that.
0: So three managerial vacancies over the last few days in the EFL will obviously. Be passing comment on any appointments in the next few podcasts when we get some news. Um, Before we get into our team of the weekend, and well done for uh, getting to this point. If you suspect that your team might be involved in this, it will be worth the wait. But um, on Friday evening, George read some stats, uh, which he does a lot on Friday evenings. Um, (laughs) It's Friday afternoon, thanks. Sits down, prints off the stats um, provided by the excellent Marco O'Hare and just really get, that's how he loves to spend his, his Friday afternoons, his Friday evenings. Anyway, George, as he often does, noticed something interesting, something surprising maybe, um, and tweeted that Sunderland ranked 21st out of 24 for touches in the box ratio in League One. Of course, there is much more to football than getting on the ball in advanced areas, but it helps. Going to be an interesting few months for Jack Ross's side, I reckon. Maybe not heading in the direction people expect. Um, maybe it's in the delivery, but it didn't seem...
1: How It particu-
0: <laughs> didn't seem like a particularly incendiary tweet. Um, but a couple of comments that I'll read out. Just doing it for the likes, I enjoyed. Uh, Clueless, who is this George <laughs> nonce, and how is he verified? Um, delusional yet self-obsessed. Uh, football not played on spreadsheets. Shut down Excel and get yourself to a game. I thought I was going to have a nice Friday evening. Crisis, a crisis comms uh, yeah. for me. No, it was. But, I mean, that was a, a strange day for you, George.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, it was just so bizarre. I don't understand how someone can take, you know, what is all, literally what I'm doing is, is posting a fact and adding a an argument towards it and then straight afterwards saying that I understand that the argument may not necessarily be, you know, entirely... Um, you know, there are other factors apart from the the touch and box stat yeah
0: the key and it is hidden in between two other sentences so it might have just been lost but the key sentence is of course there is much more to football yeah. than getting on the ball in advanced I mean, areas but it helps
1: it's just, just I find it a shame that in this day and age um, there are football fans out there who still just refuse to understand or even try and understand what things mean I mean people say it's the results that matter people say it's the league table that matters obviously that's the case i mean there's no question about that but you don't win anything for being second in november and realistically everyone knows in football that the way you, if you you think your team play well when you have the ball in advanced areas and you create good scoring opportunities and so the notion or just kind of the like the arrogance to just assume that you're a club who have this big, the, the bigger club with these players who, who may be household names. And because you've won a few games a season and loads of the replies to me were so scathing about other teams in, uh, in the league as well, saying that all the other teams are rubbish. It's this rubbish league. Like, even saying that the reason why they're having more touches, less touch than others, is because the quality of player of the other teams was so much worse than their players that they were touching it more to control it. A, that's stupid because that's not the definition anyway. You, you can't touch it more than once. And B, just arrogant. You know, I have nothing against Sunderland. We had a great time there. The Roker Lads, Roker Report, which is a fantastic podcast, um, you know, hosted us very nicely. And no one who has listened to this podcast um, hasn't listened, knows about my love for Chris Maguire. But,
0: you know. So, so actually, just quickly to butt in, those who engaged a bit more with what you'd um, said and and gave some reaction to it, among other things. But one of the themes was, it doesn't matter, we're hitting screamers every week. Um, don't need to get it in the box when you've got Chrissy Maguire picking top bins out from 25 yards. Um, and, and we're clinical. But it does, to you, that's not... You know, the, 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 the fact that they're clinical...
1: So, interestingly, the same day that I, that I did this, that I tweeted that, Ted Knutson from Statsbomb tweeted a, a shot map of Sunderland's which I retweeted and I think uh, Ted thought I was trying to push some of, the, uh, some of the blame towards him and someone replied saying isn't it just, just the case of us having better finishes and Ted said something along the lines of well no unless your finishes are the best strikers we've ever seen in the world so that kind of shows you the level that we're talking about here and as I said I mean I might be completely wrong um, I, well you know I, the facts are right about about you know, the data but I might be wrong with what I come out with They Sunderland might win the league by 95 points that's fine but the notion that there's nothing to be concerned about. I mean, I, I hope for Sunderland fans' sake that Jack Ross doesn't have that opinion and he's of the belief that he's got a team who can continue to score from 25 yards. It just doesn't happen like that. And yeah, you know, what I will say is having, having not been in any way emotionally um, involved with Sunderland, um, given that I got about 50 notifications on my phone yesterday when they scored a goal in the first minute, um, maybe I do now.
0: Well, now you certainly realise the passion that the fans have for the club. And I think, you know, that is a part of it that, um, of course, it's not been the, the most excellent few years for Sunderland fans. And um, regardless of touches in the box, it is a, a team that they are um, backing to the hilt, that is um, responding with goals and with results. And of um, clearly the atmosphere has changed around there. So um, you can sort of understand, I guess, from that point of view, uh, uh, I guess poking the, the hornet's nest or something. But... Um, you have taken a charity bet haven't you from a Sunderland fan yeah um, there was a lot of you know put your money where your mouth is stuff and you have
1: well interestingly only only one person of the of the many who said that who I told to dm me only one of them actually replied to me um and we have had a charity bet yeah so um
0: so I, what are the you don't have to give the uh, amounts but what's the terms of the bet well, point, he,
1: he, he very you know kindly, his promotion he said you know if, if we don't get promoted um I'll ping you however much to send to your charity and he said it's up to you if you want to do the same which which obviously I will Fantastic. If, if they do go up and and you know just just at like a last line on it um it's it's interesting how often we get told we have a bias I mean Reading's an obvious one because I'm an Oxford fan um I've been told many times a season that, that we hate Leeds um it just isn't that we're, oh, we're, I just find it hilarious because we spend so
0: much time together talking about the EFL and it, of course, you know, people are going to roll their eyes and say, well, we would say this. But I just find it hilarious because it, it is never, never part of any conversations we have. That... Yeah.
1: I just think, if, you know, your enjoyment of football um, should surely just be with an open mind rather than just taking, taking criticism of your team so personally. Um, and it makes me worried that if, if things do go wrong at some in, the ne- in the next few weeks, um, I think it could get looking at kind of the complacency maybe of some of their fans g- could get ugly quite quickly
0: well it's also possible if the performances Im- improve uh, to another level if they do end up um, reducing the amount of, of chances that they're giving the opposition and you know that's reflected in John McLaughlin's literally player of the month nomination for the month of, of October because he's made um, so many important saves with the scores level in their games but also um, you know if they, if they cut that out then of course they could get even better and then the league really will have to worry. Two things I wanted to read out, two tweets from people who we respect a lot here who I think summed it up quite well. Matt Vale um, tweeted to say that data um, does tell the real story for let's say 91 out of 92 teams but when it's your own team and you're sat pretty, you can't help but look at those tables and pray that you're an anomaly. Uh, Dreaming is far better than telling yourself you'll regress um, which is is, uh, undeniable Uh, and Ted. Knutson, who you mentioned, tweeted uh, off the back of this, he said, you know, why a lot of people questioning expected goals as well, of course, why do we care about expected goals? Because through the course of a season, it tends to be more predictive of future results than almost any other metric. Um, It also tends to stabilise through the year and mostly reflect the league table and actual goal difference. I think what was frustrating for me, um, just reading a lot of the back and forth, was how you were almost arguing quite often just different things with with people. Because, um, as always, I think it's important for us as people who are trying to make a podcast about the EFL, we have to try and be predictive. We can't just look at the league table and say, well, it's 1-24... to Bingo, that's that's that done. Well done to those who are first and shame for those who are 24th. We have to be predictive in our nature on this podcast. And one of the best things that we think um, to help us be predictive of future results um, is are these underlying numbers. Now, for Sunderland fans who pointed out the goal difference and the points and the wins, um, it's absolutely fair enough. Uh, I'm not, not trying to belittle it, but we're trying to be predictive. I think that's always a point that's worth making. Enough of that. We're going to move on to our team of the week. Uh, We were thrilled to be joined by Howard Hodgson, who is an Aston Villa fan with an absolutely fantastic reputation amongst other Villa fans for being the most respected voice of the fans on Aston Villa. We were thrilled that he was able to join us. Here's what he had to say about Aston Villa's 3-0 win at Derby. They are our team of the week. Howard, there's, there's lots of positive things to say about this result, but... First and foremost, since Villa have been in the championship, is this the best away performance uh, of the last two and a half years?
2: Oh, without question. I think, um, you know, I I had a conversation with a few fans about this. I think it's it's possibly our most significant performance since uh, we got relegated home or away. I mean... We did beat Wolves last season at home, very convincingly, having 4-1. But certainly away from home, we've genuinely really struggled um, since we've been relegated. And uh, so, yes, um, in this season, that's continued. We've yeah, I think we hadn't won away from home since the first game of the season against Hull. So the signs were that things were improving since the change of manager. And, yeah, that was a very welcome result on... Uh, on Saturday, and a very, very um, welcome performance as well.
1: And with the performances, I mean, a lot was made of Dean Smith and his style of play at Brentford. Has it been an obvious change of playing style since he's come in?
2: Oh, yes, without a doubt. Um, I think the big frustration uh, for me and for for a number of Villa fans under Steve Bruce was that we always felt that like... um, we were playing within ourselves somewhat, I mean we had you know we've had an embarrassment of riches really since we've been relegated compared to a lot of championship clubs you know we've thrown a lot of money at it, and we've had a lot of you know Premier League players really um in the squad and and yet most games whilst Bruce was manager, we just you know we it felt like we would get a goal and then try and sit on it and play rather negatively overall and um And then there wasn't really any pattern or style of play developing. And and so, you know, when he left, you know, so many people wanted Smith because of They'd seen what he'd done at Brentford and before at Warsaw with no money. You know, I mean, you know, dealing on a shoestring and having a wage, an annual wage bill of sort of 10 to 12 million per annum compared to ours at 50, 60 million per annum, you know. So we've, all, we've got all these talented players. We could just get a coach that could get the best out of them. You know, we could finally see some, see some happier days at Villa. And, um, you know, the signs, the early signs are encouraging. What, you know,
0: we we all watched Dean Smith's Brentford, we've got a a pretty good idea. Uh, But in terms of how he's implementing that style of play at at Villa, for those who haven't necessarily watched full matches of Villa under Dean Smith, how's he um, putting the players? What positions is he putting, for example, Grealish in? How's he getting the best out of the squad? Because it's not always as easy as just taking a formation and just dropping it onto a a different squad, is it?
2: No, and I must admit. I was expecting this to take quite a lot of time because you know the the players have been so used to behind the ball tactics primarily under Bruce. um and so Dean's philosophies are so different so he's he looks for the high press when they when we've not got the ball, so he's got he's got he's got us working much harder as a unit um pressing teams into mistakes um with the high press a la sort of Liverpool, if you like. And then in in possession, he's much more wanting men in front of the ball and much more movement off the ball. Whereas under Bruce, it was, you know, mostly men behind the ball, and he was very reticent, it seemed, to get men in front of the ball. And in case he we got caught out on counter attacks, etc. So he's he's just much more ambitious throughout, really, in terms of his style of um, play. And it's we do have a squad um, that you know. She, should really enjoy that and they seem to be you mentioned Grealish I mean he's uh, he's playing very well he's playing sort of in an advanced sort of number 10 role and uh pretty much a free reign and is able to create and then players like John McGinn are getting up and down the pitch fantastically well um and Conor Hurahan sort of spraying the ball out from the back um so and then uh, the wide positions you've got um Adoma on one wing and um, Kodja on the other wing, with Tammy Abraham sort of spearheading it. So it's a, it's a, I guess it's a 4 3 3, but it's just a much more fluid um, way of playing. And we just, you know, we. I, I, he, he, I, he made a quote which I'd like to just read to you. Actually, because I t- I tweeted this over the weekend and it's like had about eight hundred likes. I mean, the fans just absolutely love what they've what they've what, the, what he's saying here. And basically, what he says is my philosophy is this: one nil, two nil, five nil up. Never ever settle for it. You must be hungry for more. If you do sit back, then not only are you inviting the opposition to get back into the game but you are showing the mercy you have to look at the bigger picture i don't only want us to destroy our current opponents i want to breathe fear into our next ones i mean this is just music to our ears yeah. you know Thanks. after a number of years not just bruce but before that McLeish, etc being rather negative so yeah Fans
1: are very happy at the moment. I'm sure I'm sure a lot of Brentford fans listening as well will probably think they'd have liked Dean Smith to sit back on a couple of 1-0 and 2-0 leads in the past as well. But at the moment, obviously, for Villa, it's fantastic. I mean, as ever, it's been a pretty bizarre championship season so far. And despite a poor start, despite such a poor start, you've sacked your manager. You're currently sitting in 11th place, but just four, four points off the playoffs and seven points off second place and the automatic spots. Right now, given the turnaround in form since Dean Smith came, came to the club, What's the target now? What, what, do you, what do you think is the bare minimum that this team should achieve this season?
2: Well, I mean, um, as I said to you, I, I, I was really not sure. You know, it's really not ideal changing managers um, mid season or during a season. You know, you'd, ideally you want, you want to change a manager if you've got to change a manager in pre season so that he can recruit and plan accordingly and, you know, and, and practice the way he wants to play. But I think. Because we've got you know this sort of these talented attacking minded players like Balassi and uh, Abraham and Codger and Grealish and McGinn etc. You know a lot of you know a lot of good players that you know it was pretty much a natural that Dean could hopefully come in and have a fairly immediate impact. And he's I think it's nine points from five games since he's come. So he's had a couple of defeats, but he's had three wins. So you know, already the point uh, points are, is improving. And as you say, the, the league is wide open. Mm. I've never, uh, you know, th- this is our third season down here and it is by far the most open it's been. I mean, we had Newcastle dominate season one. We had with Brighton. Um, and then season two was Wolves. Um, and then, <clears throat> although we did obviously get quite close last season. Mm. And then... Um, and then this season, there really is just no um, outstanding team. I mean, you know, to watch Leeds get fun, to, I know it was against West Brom, they were a team obviously they were going to challenge as well. On Saturday, it was just typical of, of the league. So... I think, you know, we uh, it, all possibilities are open to us still. I mean, we, we wasted a lot of uh, points um, and fixtures. You, you would class easier fixtures in that sort of first segment of the season, that first 10-11 games. We had some very disappointing results, like drawing away at Ipswich and drawing at home to Reading and um, losing at home to Sheffield Wednesday. These weren't good results. Um, but, you know... Now we've got to play a lot of the teams above us. And, of course, you can look at that too and think, oh, well, that's going to be very difficult. But if it goes the way of, like, the Derby game, they're like six-pointers and it has the double impact. Mm -hmm. So it does give us an opportunity to really get back into the race. So in answer to your question, I I would sincerely hope we can certainly get into the playoffs again as a minimum.
0: We've certainly seen over the last uh, five, six weeks, Norwich put together a run that's taken them from uh, mid-lower half of the table to, uh, to right towards the top. So it's clearly not out of the question. Uh, I've got one more question for you. And thank you so much for all of your, your insight and expertise so far. Um, I noticed a, uh, a long straight ball played from Derby that caused an issue in the first half that Tom Lawrence um, spurned, really, a great chance. And I was at the QPR game um, a few weeks ago where a, a similar sort of ball straight over the top really did cause some problems uh, for Chester and for Twanzebe. Um, obviously, when the international break is over, the first game back is against your greatest rivals, Birmingham City, who are on a decent run of form themselves. And in Lukas Djukovic, they have a a bit of a target man. Is that is that a worry for you looking ahead to that second city derby?
2: I, I think I think you're absolutely right to, to mention it. I mean that is definitely a weak spot for for the Villa at the moment. they um, we're not we're not blessed with a lot of options at centre half. I mean it's quite bizarre. Bruce left a squad actually that was a little bit lopsided in terms of it, it was very limited on. Um, on centre backs and he, and he let Tommy Elfitt go out on loan to hole um, they clearly had a fallout but um, you know without replacing him so we really um, we, we've got obviously Chester and Axel and except for that then we've, we, we had Yedinat playing there earlier in the season which really didn't work and there isn't anyone else really um, so I do think we are susceptible to, um, to that sort of direct long ball um, and we we are going to have to be I'm sure Birmingham will target it, and it, there will be a threat from it. I would hope that we will, you know, play our front foot, our newfound front foot style, and, um, and you know, get well ahead in the game, because I do think we, we've got a lot of tools to hurt them as well. But it will be a hard game. Birmingham, I think, have only lost three games all season, so they're a tough nut to crack. So it will be a, a very intense derby, and uh, I'm sure a, a very tight game.
0: Yeah, both sides clearly better iterations than they were last season when, just from a neutral point of view, I think the Derby's um, slightly underwhelmed some of the viewers, but it's set to be a cracker in about 10 days, two weeks' time. And uh, uh, maybe we'll be talking to you again after that, maybe, maybe not. But thank you so much for joining us and thank you so much for your your Villa expertise. Absolute pleasure and, uh,
2: yeah, I look forward to speaking to you all again soon.